You are listening to Executive Chess Podcast Number Two The Paradigm Shift. Welcome to Executive Chess with your host, Peter Klein. When you hear the word executive, you may think about somebody in power, senior management, a big corporation. But what I want you to do is think of the adjective executive as someone who has the power to put a plan or course of action into effect. And so we set out to embolden all of us to put a plan or course of action into effect, whether it be over a chessboard, in a business, or in life. Today we're going to consider the idea of a paradigm shift. But first, a story. A number of years ago, a friend of ours announced to a group of friends that he was going to play in a big national tournament in about eight to nine weeks. Tournaments of this size were held a couple times a year and involved travel to another state and a lengthy hotel stay. So there was considerable amount of cost and travel involved. Of course, naturally, the question arose, well, what are you doing differently in order to prepare? And his reply was to try that trick opening that he loves to play and to study a lot of tactical puzzles. Well, as can be expected, we did not see that much change in him or in his chess. And as could probably be predicted, he came back with a result in nine rounds of three wins, two draws, and four losses. Well, this idea of a big event coming up certainly isn't specific to chess. And what do we do in order to prepare for it raises questions about uh, learning in general and about training and preparing. One of the natural questions that probably arises for most is when the stakes are higher for an event that has more meaning, perhaps has more impact to a person's uh, journey, is what they're doing before sufficient? And in the bigger picture, do we press ahead with what we're doing and do it in a much more substantial way with greater effort? Or is a new approach or new ways of doing things required? On the one hand, we have the battle cry once more into the breach, dear friends, and putting our shoulder to the grindstone, we can hope for a different result with a renewed effort. On the other hand, we have the definition of insanity, where putting in the same inputs, we expect a different outcome. While some of this inspiration is found in the lore of great battles, it is found every day in competition, in sports, in games, and in business of all walks of life. But we also see extreme loss and not necessarily new results. Is there, in fact, a certain point where a new approach is warranted? And it is not a question of effort, simply that the context of whatever we are trying doesn't possibly have a realistic chance of success. There was a cartoon many years ago that had a group of people wandering through the jungle, and the caption below it said, Having lost our way, we redoubled our efforts. Now, of course, in every little bit of humor, there is a kernel of truth, and the kernel of truth there is, Have we in fact lost our way? 
Have we in fact chosen a course of action, an approach to progress that simply is not applicable to success? Is this in fact the smartest way to go about it? Is heart and drive and resiliency uh, sufficient to help in success? Can we in fact shift the underlying approach in order to create a new context, a new way of doing things that will essentially move the needle and give a greater chance of success? Now, in understanding this shift, let's first go over some basics about how people learn. In teaching chess, there are two ways in which I could show you a mechanism or a combination or way of doing something in a chess game. To understand these two ways in which it can be taught, appreciate that chess is a pattern-based activity. It is similar to language. It is similar to music in that there are patterns to it that can be learned and understood. The first approach in teaching a pattern-based activity is what we would generally refer to as a behavioral type of learning. We could take a pattern such as a checkmate in two moves or some sort of tactic and show an example and then repeat with more and more examples in different contexts until a pattern is formed and the idea is ingrained in a person's brain. That would be, in a nutshell, what we'd refer to as behavioral type of learning. As an alternative, we could reason through the factors in the strengths and weaknesses of the position, the relative places of the pieces, and the opportunities they're found. So one of the contexts that might be applicable is the fact that the king is relatively trapped and has no squares to move to. Or perhaps there is nothing but open squares around the king. And those contexts leads to a natural deduction that a checkmate is possible. Here, the chess teacher is more interested in the idea of uh, working through the deduction and the logical thought of what's the best thing to do in this given position. And this generally would refer to what we would call cognitive learning. And while there are schools of thought about both types of learning with a great amount of detail well beyond uh, this discussion, both types have a place in chess, in music, and in language. Within the sphere of learning a new language, uh, something like verb conjugation would be likely fall under behavioral patterns that need to be understood and practiced and reinforced, whereas something like rules and tenses or items of grammar might lend themselves to a cognitive approach. Certainly within the sphere of music, there is a large portion which is pattern-based, requiring repetition, and practice, practice, and more practice. But understanding structure and the overall artistic process becomes much and more important when raising to the level, for example, of writing your own music. As an interesting aside for the young chess player, 
progress and growth in chess requires the same dedication of practicing three times a week for 30 minutes. If you're going to practice a piano four times a week for a certain amount of time, you're going to need to practice chess four times a week for an equal amount in order to get better. And this is because chess is a pattern-based activity which requires behavioral learning. Interestingly enough, I think between uh, chess and language and music that there is perhaps a different attachment point in which creativity and artistic license sort of kicks in. Artistic expression in a chess game uh, appears after a mastery of fundamentals is held, and nothing will really destroy whatever uh, beauty one could find in a given game than an out an out blunder. In language, poetic expression and uh, deeper prose, I imagine, is at a higher level of understanding. But in music, one could be creative artistically, yet still be flawed from a technical standpoint. So we have these two ways of learning and preparing and essentially training that is, in a broadest sort of sense, behavioral versus cognitive. These are, in fact, true across many, many platforms of business and everyday life. If you think about some aspect in any given business, or what a professional does within that business, there's a fair amount in a given day which would be set by behavioral sort of an approach. In the day-to-day operations of a given role, there are plenty of tasks which are routine and are repeated, whether it be some sort of internal procedure or some sort of reporting but they have a level of comfort and understanding. While it's easy to ask and understand what the underlying reasons for uh, the procedure, it's not necessary to complete it. There is a substantial degree of practicality involved in the fact that every little thing that we do or that we do on a regular basis in a repeated fashion doesn't require a cognitive analysis Yet there are parts of the role which uh, require analytical skills and solving problems and understanding the bigger picture and seeing what the potential uh, alternative results are for future success. At a bare minimum, a role should have the analytical skills in order to bring certain concerns to other people's attention, and establish collaborative effort to solve problems. In fact, in business, the analytical skills that are developed from cognitive learning are desired, striven for, and coveted as one would move their way up through more complicated and more challenging roles within a given company. One could argue that cognitive learning requires a longer period of time, but it does beg the question as to whether greater analytical skills are the result of uh, logical thinking or quick pattern recognition built from behavioral learning. So when we are training for that big event or 
practicing and learning our craft in general, what is the split between pattern building with behavioral type learning exercises and building analytical and problem solving approaches with cognitive learning? Within a framework of a balance between these two types of learning, can we in fact shift the underlying learning mechanisms to intensify or, in other words, speed up the process for greater results? Specifically, this idea of a shift or a paradigm shift as commonly found in science is really just a fundamental change in our approach or our underlying assumptions in whatever task we are undertaking. In a grandiose way, this may seem like expectations are bigger in life. How can we shift the way in which we learn, in which we train, in which we prepare, in which we go about our given task? But it can also be as small as just essentially working smarter and recognizing how we're going about it and seeing if we can't do it differently. In science, one of the examples of a paradigm shift is in physics, when it transitioned from what would be defined as Newtonian physics to a brand new theory of relativity. Well, that sounds really big, sounds really grandiose, and in fact, it makes our task of understanding a paradigm shift even more elusive. Is it big? Is it small? Is it affecting the cosmos, knowledge for mankind in general? or just me and the job I'm doing. Let's see if we can identify the nature of some very common paradigm shifts and what sort of insight they will tell us. The first very common example is language immersion. An individual will find himself with an opportunity to travel to another country where uh, that language is natively spoken and find themselves in a very uh, new uh, environment. Relative to the individual, that would be a very big paradigm shift. Early in the experience, there could be a sense of excitement, of wonder, of inquisitiveness. Certainly, there would be a dimension of intensity, perhaps urgency, and mere survival in finding their place in this new culture and new understanding. In many businesses, we see either a corporate culture or a competitive nature which leads to an equal degree of intensity. Decades ago, there were certain firms that had this reputation that out of college, one would go and work for them in a field of accounting or in finance, and you would expect 60-hour work weeks with intense, deep involvement And the average uh, employee there lasted five to six years. But after that five or six years, the degree of your experience and the nature of it usually meant, at least from a reputation standpoint, that you could go most anywhere. So again, the corporate culture had intensity. It had a degree of learning, a body of knowledge, which was accelerated and most likely produced a set of contacts or networking opportunities 
that were a benefit and essentially shifted the paradigm, if you will. In both examples of paradigm shifts, for the individual, they would be nothing short of life-altering. There is another example in chess. Uh, There is an occurrence of what is commonly referred to as a chess house. This was 35 years ago now for me, uh, and happens generally around college campuses where a group of friends will get together, uh, joining in housing opportunities, rent a place, and in the course of doing what they naturally uh, are interested in doing, outside of studies, they would play chess. And chess would go on uh, many, many hours of the day, many days of the week, many weeks of the school year. Uh, This one in particular had an interesting dynamic in the fact that there were three friends who came together, all exceptionally strong players, which is all relative to, of course, even stronger players in the world. But Stronger players at their time uh, in their local community. And the fourth that joined them was an international student who played no tournament chess at all. Now, I reference the fact that he's an international student because he came to this university climate with a very strong natural sense of wonder and inquisitiveness about Uh, the United States, about this university, about culture in general, and about what his roommates were interested in. Now, according to him, he had read a little bit and played kind of recreationally, but have never studied the game or played in any tournaments. Now, his inquisitive nature resulted in him picking up many of the chess books that they had in the residence and watching and inserting himself into play with these exceptionally strong chess players. And sure enough, by the end of the school year, he plays in his very first tournament and competes at a relatively high level with excellent results. Another example of a shift in the underlying approach can be found in the NFL and what is commonly referred to as a two-minute drill. And it would seem like just watching that they have shifted a gear, if you will, if they've pressed a button and have moved into an accelerated format. But the interesting thing in this shift for us to appreciate is the fact that there is a new uh, intensity, there is a new urgency, and there is a sudden death aspect that is winner-take-all or ultimately going to fail. Within certain businesses or the economy in general or society as a whole, we can see large-scale altering events that shift the efforts of the entire marketplace in order to meet some kind of need or recognize some kind of opportunity. Whereas the amount of time left on the clock and the score is the simple components for the context of our shift. In a corporation, it could be as large as dramatically changing uh, technology, a 
altered marketplace where factors are leading to companies dropping out or new uh, opportunities in the competitive field that would force or at least provide a great deal of motivation for a corporation to shift its model rapidly. Now we have multiple examples of large-scale shifts and life-altering types of shifts for the individual, but surely there is a spectrum when we focus upon that paradigm just being an underlying model and the shift being a change in our approach or underlying assumptions. Although not unique to competitive chess, there is an aspect or an underlying assumption that strong chess players adopt that says, I am not going to lose a game. I, in fact, may be beaten by a better player at a better point in time, but I'm not going to do anything to throw the game away. And I am not going to let you take the game from me until the last little bit of fight in the game is done. And one of the difficult things for younger chess players is to convey this uh, persistence, if you will, this resiliency to never give up and for every lost position to be fighting for a draw or a tie, for every even position to be fighting for a win. But where we see the shift is where those players move towards this new approach to the game for the reward of that competitive edge or spirit. And thus the reward of that new approach becomes a motivator for the shift in and of itself. It almost becomes less about the net resulting win and loss rates as the type of player that they become and what they enjoy in the game. While this may seem self-evident, many, many chess players play for what seems like a randomness for whatever occurs. I, in fact, had a younger uh, student quite a few years ago that quite honestly told me that he didn't particularly care what happened. And he disliked to play and have fun playing. And whatever the result was, the result was. I, of course, pointed out that chess with its base in logic and problem solving and choices that result therein, if one doesn't care very much about the choices that they make, then they have to be satisfied with whatever results arises. Uh, Unfortunately, not the approach or the attitude or the underlying assumptions that leads to really strong chess players. In understanding the basis for a shift, there is often an emotional component where that emotion is connected to uh, an event or a series of results and therefore intensity and memory of it is heightened. Uh, every strong chess player, every competitor, regardless of the sport, can tell you about their worst loss, their bad beats, their 
defeats that left such a strong impression uh, was such a big learning experience that uh, the the pattern of it and the impact is held for a long time. In terms of emotion, we see cases where a young professional will make a mistake or pay less than careful attention to detail, and they'll be called out in a very public fashion so that the emotion is tied with the approach and by design, hoping that that strong connection, that intensity will lead to a shift in their future approach. Therein lies the very paradoxical nature of the fact that once you understand the design, it is not quite as personal or to be taken as so severely, but yet by design, it's emotional. And as a result, it's really tough not to take it personally. Okay, this is terrific. We have explored many different types of paradigm shifts in quite a different sets of context and two different degrees, some very, very life-altering, others on a smaller scale, but they seem to include somehow the several components which we can identify and perhaps uh, manipulate to different levels as desired. Certainly there's a sense of intensity. There's a sense of urgency. In some cases, the context is giving a sudden death aspect that's driving that urgency or survival, fight or flight sort of instinct. Um, but there's also a natural inquisitiveness, a wonder, a joy of the process that gives an energy and excitement that we can tap into. And there can be an additional rewards and additional emotions at play which will uh, alter our experience and our approach. So along our journey to put a course of action into a place, can we manufacture, can we create a paradigm shift? When I ask this in the form of a question, I really do mean, can we create this paradigm shift? Because as most of us know, most people do not change. Generally speaking, change is hard and change is resisted. And because a paradigm shift is a fundamental change in our approach or underlying assumptions, it is going to be a challenge. But it is a challenge that the emboldened individual, player, or business entity will have to face, especially if they are in a position of the usual approaches and assumptions that are made are no longer producing the desired results. We have been called to execute our plan, our course of action, to put those into effect and reach a desired result. And if the current approach and the current underlying assumptions are not doing it, we need to shift. One of the more powerful aspects of what is required for success in this year, in this modern 21st century, is in willingness to adapt to changing environments. One of the key components for a member of the military in very difficult situations is the slogan, 
of their ability to adapt and overcome. The emboldened individual or chess player may even find themselves in a position where a dramatic paradigm shift is what is needed on a more philosophical or emotional sort of level within the course of their journey. This feeds a mechanism where the paradigm shift itself becomes a reward or uh, a rewarding endeavor for that individual or that business entity, adding to a new sense of excitement, wonder, exploration, and even potentially joy. So we now have this formed idea of a paradigm shift. And what will the design of that paradigm shift look like? Well, there was a reference or quote in a famous movie from many decades ago now, where one character asks another, uh, what's the secret? What's the meaning of, of everything? The meaning of life, if you will. And he holds up a finger and says one thing. And, and there's a dramatic pause and everyone is, is, is waiting in the audience going, he's going to tell him what the one thing, the meaning of life is. And then he followed with the line, you have to find for yourself. The emboldened architect of this paradigm shift is going to have to design it themselves. Many of the ingredients or factors that we talked about are going to have to be changed and raised and lowered in order to meet your own personal style within whatever approach or underlying assumptions you currently have and that you want to move towards. What kind of intensity is required for your course of action? You want to find that sweet spot that is essentially raising a level of discomfort, but yet doesn't increase the pressure or urgency to the sense of pain or disruption. We certainly want the intensity set for walking before we run and perhaps jogging before a certain pace of a run so that it grows with a chance of success. Bite off more than you can chew, try for too big of a shift, then it's doomed to fail. Not enough intensity in the shift and it probably won't register any kind of change. Urgency can be included by creating deadlines or setting some sort of timetable for steps along the way or uh, just a changing of the usual expectations of time that it takes for either behavioral patterns to arise or the uh, analytical skills to develop by steps that you're taking along the way. You can add to a paradigm shift by looking for additional rewards and motivations to help during the more difficult times. These can include uh, the reward in and of itself of what kind of effect it has on you. It can include emulating others within that area uh, different expertise or different inspirational people that you know, that you see in popular culture that lead you towards why this shift is has that level of importance. 
in this same vein, we can appreciate what kind of competitive toughness that we see in ourselves or within this company that we're involved in that should be rewarded and uplifted and reinforced and held as a virtue, if you will, a um, propelling force for further intensity in the shift. We can actually recognize the emotional component that comes into competition, use it as a driving force or a fuel for the toughest moments in order to leave greater pattern recognition, greater learning insight, and connections to those sort of circumstances when we are put into uh, analytical opportunities or requirements further down the road. Rather than emotions being minimalized or eliminated, they should in fact be encouraged and embraced included in our ability to make connections and learning experiences within our new approach. One of the most powerful aspects of a substantial paradigm shift is this sense of wonder, this inquisitiveness uh, for the individual, for the player, for those executing a plan or a brand new business entity where the excitement of new possibilities and discovering ways of doing uh, things and achievements that can be reached and this knowledge in general that can be gained drives an often uh, childlike uh, sense of wonder, if you will. Um, a really great chess player I know once said that each chess game to a degree is like opening a brand new present. And once you get into the middle part of the chess game, where there's a brand new aspect to it, the sense of wonder goes up and your ability to find those new possibilities in the position of the pieces leads to an amazing reward, which is then different for the next game. There is in fact a special ingredient, if you will, that will lead to the success of a paradigm shift found in the idea of its ability to energize the participant or player. The activities undertaken in a paradigm shift should not be viewed as a burden at the end of a long, hard day, but rather should energize the participant, should re-energize in difficult moments. With the right degree of intensity set for your personal results desired, adding your own degree of inquisitiveness or sense of wonder, seeking additional rewards and positive feedback, making emotional connection to learning opportunities, and ultimately finding energizing activities within that new approach 
should lead to enjoyment and the best chances for success within your overall evolution in the course of action. It will definitely be a challenge, and failure to change may just mean that it's time to redesign our paradigm shift. A genuine attempt at a paradigm shift has no downside. A paradigm shift still involves effort, progress, and learning. Therefore, it's never wasted. Perhaps excitement and wonder will multiply across all of our endeavors. Perhaps one of the benefits is that we'll become more open to change. And we can simply strive for a new paradigm shift with the knowledge we've learned. Good luck with this challenge and take care. Thank you so much for listening in. Please check out my website at execcess.com or drop me a note at info at execcess.com. 